Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal. All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity in sin. We all need the same Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. yesterday, looked all over, high, low, up and down, uh, found some Jehovah's Witnesses. I couldn't find any evangelicals anywhere, despite the fact that the kids are willing to talk to adults. That's right. The kids who, we've been told, fear adulting, apparently don't fear adults. I'm telling you, I am not hallucinating. Well, they're There are some things I could be hallucinating on, but I'm not hallucinating on this. Although, if I were hallucinating, I could start a church. (laughs) In my stack of church stories, there's the new psychedelic church trend. Have you heard about it? You literally take psychotropics. Here it is right here. From Religion News. God on Psychedelics. It's a book. Researchers are rediscovering the possibilities of using psilocybin, ketamine, MDMA, LSD as tools in treating depression, addiction, psychological distress, and spiritual awakenings. A book has been dedicated to this. Rabbis, priests, and other clergies see entheogens as a way to renew the faith. It's a drug-induced faith. Well, that sounds... Then there are the nuns, people of no particular faith, who are consciously using psychedelics as a spiritual practice. Some are affiliated with new religious movements, including two originating in Brazil that use ayahuasca. Jimmy, don't you have those little canned drinks that you've got? Isn't that what you got going on in there? (laughs) Yeah. A tea brewed from two plants native to the Amazon. A lot of ayahuasca. Or magic mushroom churches, they those are words that don't belong together, are underground, but some are going public as the legal situation shifts. Well, because, you know, once the government says it's legal, it's no longer immoral. That's how that works. An Episcopal priest saw his, what a shocker, saw his psychedelic experience as a second ordination. <laughs> Might want to dial back a little bit. He felt the power of the Holy Spirit as bodily energy. Before, his faith was all in his head, too intellectual. And so, inspired him to start an organization, which is already having church retreats where other clergy have these experiences. Cool. A group of religious people getting together to get what do you call it? Stoned? High? 
You know, you I, used to be a crackhead, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, can't you tell? <laughs> well, I hope so. Your testimony could use a little help. That always embellishes. Oregon and Colorado have legitimized magic mushrooms and are regulating supervised psychedelic sessions. Cool. There are hundreds of these psychedelic churches. Some are small. Others have about 100 members. Hey, here's a trend we can look forward to making its way into evangelicalism somehow. Actually, it probably has. It's called contemporary worship music. The point is, I was not on psychedelics when I was at the university campus yesterday. The kids won't leave you. And that ain't a bad thing. Talked to six young people yesterday, six. One of them actually knew the gospel. In fact, this kid really knew the guy. He was wearing a cross necklace. It looks like cross necklaces are all the rage again. And this kid just said, hey, what are you guys up to? And I said, why don't you sit down and find out? I think you might hopefully know the answer to this question. I said, you're wearing a cross necklace that indicates you're a Christian. Why should I become a Christian? And instead of the typical, well, you know, hey, I don't want to make anybody. Oh, I wouldn't want to impose my I don't want to offend anybody. This is just my personal belief, which we ran into plenty. This young man. Well, it begins a creation. God created a perfect world. But Adam, our federal head, sinned through the whole world. And he marches through propitiation, justification, repentance. I was. I was tearing up just a little bit. He nailed it. Well, that was one kid out of, you know, hundreds. So there is hope out there. But the other kids that I talked to, the conversations would typically go on 20, 30 minutes. And when it was done, now, I know that it happens to be a trend these days. And I know that because I've experienced it a lot. And that's enough on social media to say this is a trend. People don't know how to say goodbye. Have you noticed that on the phone? So, uh, Jimmy, why don't you why don't you say good say goodbye to me? Goodbye, Todd. Oh well, you know, goodbye to you. It's just been so great talking to you today. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. And I hope you know what. And I hope tomorrow's a good day for you too. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Got to go. I, you know what? I suppose everybody's so busy these days, aren't they? Yeah. Hang up the phone. Kids crying in the next room. Kids crying. <laughs> if not, I'm going to start breaking down crying. <laughs> Just end it, would you? Nevertheless, when we finish, these young people look at me like, please stay. This isn't the end of this, is it? And it breaks my heart. Because I I don't know of a good church nearby where I can say, go here. And I can't say to them, hey, see that ministry over there? They're they're set up next to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Don't go to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Go to them. It's a Bible-based church. They'll love on you, and they're going to help you, and they'll keep this conversation going. Can't do that. Where are the churches? So the Jehovah's Witnesses, in their suits and ties on a pretty lovely Georgia spring day, had all kinds of literature. So, of course, I grabbed some, and it's titled, What Does the Bible Really Teach? You know, as opposed to what you Christians have believed for 2,000 years, we're going to tell you what our particular translation of the Bible really teaches. And it's just loaded with work righteousness, with a lot of man-made laws. Anything that's a gray area becomes black and white to them. They are a law-based system, and the people that are out there, 
They aren't as concerned about the people's precious souls that are walking by them on their way to classes. They're doing it to get their own souls to a good place. Hopefully. And there's bad theology. I was fascinated. Baptism, it says, you get baptized in the name of the capital Father, capital Son, and small Holy Spirit. Wait, what happened? How? Wait, hold. And they explain God's small Holy Spirit. It's a personal force. No, it's a person. And that means that's another reason J-dubs are outside of orthodoxy. But they're there. The Mormons were there the week before. I didn't see any evangelicals. If you're a church, I'm begging you, go to a campus. Now, you don't have to jump in and set up a tent. Go there yourself and just talk to a kid. They're sitting on a bench. They're hanging in hammocks. They're they're willing to talk and see for yourself and watch all these kids walk by and ask, what could our church be doing here every single week? Could we set up shop here on a weekly basis and become familiar to these kids and always be loving on these kids and talking to these kids and engaging these kids? I'm telling you, they will listen. Where, oh, where is the church? Do we need more statistics that remind us the kids are depressed? Of course they are. They're desperate for community, real community. Why aren't we out there? One, one, of, the, one, of, the, one of the kids that I was talking to, the one that was most palpable, was a young lady. She was a super pleasant young lady, and she wanted to be a nurse. And I was able to use that as a segue into the gospel. You say, how did that happen exactly? I said, well, do you know the history of nursing? Do you, do you know who, what people group is most responsible for the medical profession as we know it in the West? Those would be Christians. Really? Yeah, are you a Christian? Yeah. I, well, you know, I think so. Okay, super sweet young lady. Um, and she works in a nursing home right now, which is which is really encouraging. So if I'm ever in a nursing home, which might not be that far away, I'm telling you, I want her to be my nurse. Super pleasant girl. And when we were done, I couldn't get her to hang up. And it's not like I hated it or anything. I'm telling you this because the kids will talk. Go find one, please, church. If you're near a campus, get yourself there. I got to tell you, if you're not near a church, it's probably it'll be good that you go and witness to kids. That is certain. And if God is saving them, they'll be saved. And please remember, if you're thinking it's hopeless right now, it's not. I know the kids are postmodern. I understand inverted reality, woke, all of it. I get it. But what did it take to make you born again? A lot. God can do it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. If we will just, oh, what is the name of that verse? Oh, yeah. Obey the Great Commission. Do you have a church near a campus? Go. This is Wretched Radio. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. 
I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are so glad you're here. But have you ever prayerfully considered officially joining the Gospel Partner family? You know, the folks that have come together to help us reach millions all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want you to join us in that mission. And as you prayerfully and humbly consider becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel Partner, we promise we will never, ever, ever waste your hard-earned dollars on frivolous things like private tennis lessons or anything ridiculous like that. No, 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. We're ECFA approved, which means it's a verifiable fact that you can check for yourself. We're even more accountable than a referee at the Super Bowl. So jump on board, become an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner by visiting wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace amazing gospel. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, We can trust this ministry, Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry, 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Know your church fathers. Theophilus of Antioch lived a pagan lifestyle until he was converted by reading the scriptures. His most notable work, Apology, was written to an unbelieving friend to show that the scriptures were self-authenticating and argued that the antiquity, clarity, and consistency of the scriptures prove their divine origin. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh, Jimmy. Yes? Did you check the mail yet? The mail? The mail. Have you checked the mail yet? No. Get on it, man. (laughs) Please, for the sake of everybody, go check the mail. Honest. This is Wretched Radio. My invitation from Hillsong could be there. And that means we won't have to continue asking people to become financial gospel partners. Because if I can just go to Australia to speak at a Hillsong church, we're going to be rich. You say, How do you know that an invitation to speak brings big jing? Headline from Christian Post, Hillsong Church paid T.D. Jakes $150,000 to speak for a day. 
Joyce Whoa. Meyer wasn't very happy about that. She was only paid one hundred and forty three thousand dollars. Oh. oh, that's sexist or something. So make sure you check the mail, Jimmy, because <laughs> ka-ching. Goodness. Won't have to be doing this. Would you please become a gospel partner and partner with us financially? Who needs that? Who needs Christians coming together to bring resources together to propagate the gospel when you can go speak at one little convention? <laughs> That's it. And you're pretty much taken care of. Would you like to know the other folks who've preached there? Pastor <laughs> Joel Osteen, Israel Houghton. He's, he's the worship leader, I thought. He made a cool $58,605. Ed Young, only twenty five k. Judah Smith, oh, well, look at that. I don't want to say the name of this pastor, but let's just say his church points north. $25,000. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Joyce wasn't 143. My bad. Please forgive me. I exaggerated. It's $133,000. <laughs> in 2015, according to records, these are now public records, Hillsong Church spent $522,000 on honorariums. Pastor John Gray, he picked up a cool $38,649 in 2015. Is he still in business? He was the guy that was at Joel Osteen's church. And then I think he moved to South Carolina and he started up a church. This is he he's the guy who would sing and like with like he's got helium in his voice. Oh no, he did Michael Jackson. He did Thriller. That was that was a really bad idea. Who else was on there? Perry Noble, of course, Rabbi Zacharias, $48,800, etc. That's oh Joseph Prince, that isn't a shocker. Louis Giglio, Robert Morris, Stephen Furtick, Jensen Franklin, Carl Lentz, Ka Ching. You say, how can a church afford those types of honorariums? And the answer is in part, not in full, but in part, the music. It is a massive money maker. Remember, the people who attend that megachurch, they aren't members. They just attend. They come. They go. Younger demographic, which means typically they don't give as much as people who have been at it a bit longer and are more established. So how do they make this kind of money to pay $150,000 for a preacher to come from the United States to Make a hash out of the Bible. <laughs> Music. Headline from Religion News again. There's a reason every hit worship song sounds the same. Ain't it the truth? A new study examined 38 songs that made a top 25 list for CCLI and praise charts. That's the, that they're, they're the ones who track what songs are played in churches. Found that almost all had originated from one of four mega churches. Who are those mega churches? You guessed it, Hillsong, Bethel, Passion City, Elevation. Four mega churches are cranking out the majority of worship music in the church, and that is big money because a church does have to pay royalties for singing them songs. That's why when they put the lyrics up on the screen, you see the credits down below. Those people are going to get some money when that church sings and Hillsong gets a lot of money. And that is how they can afford 
such lavish honorarium. Ain't nothing wrong with giving a preacher an honorarium. But can we agree maybe maybe 150000 is just a wee bit exorbitant? Just, But the good news, in fairness, T.D. Jakes probably flew there on his own private jet. So, you know, the cost gets buried in there, but they make oodles of money from royalties, which is why your church should think long and hard about singing those songs, because I do grant you not all of them. They're not heretical. There can be even some decent thoughts. They're not going to be really rich or profound. In fact, according to this particular survey, um, not so much about the cross or salvation. A lot of it is, this is from one of the individuals who studies this stuff. What is God doing for me now? And what has God promised to do for me in the future? That's what the music, the worship music that they're cranking out tends to be about. Why? Because that's what people want. That's what people desire. And that's what they feed them. It is felt need worship. And that means it's not ultimately going to feed what their real need is. It's not going to feed their soul. If you give them just little hints, little, oh, don't you worry. God's going to do some amazing stuff. He's got great things planned for you. He's going to open up the door and send you into another level. Well, who, who doesn't love to hear that? Why do you think fortune cookies are still around? Oh, something amazing is going to happen to me very soon. I didn't say what it was or when it's going to happen, but apparently it's going to, and you get a little buzz out of it. An assistant professor of worship studies at Belmont University in Nashville said the foremost influential megachurches all come uh, from the charismatic tradition. He said they all have a spirituality that believes God becomes present in a meaningful and powerful way when the congregation sings a particular style of worship song. You hear that a lot, don't you? And it is worth exploring. I'm reading a book, and I can't tell you what it is, because I think we're going to try to work it out so we can give it away. (laughs) And I'm not going to say it was written by Heath Lambert, but it gets... It really gets to what our need is. And our need is to know that the creator of the universe is not only not. How many negatives was that? Not only not angry at us. He loves us. He, he the Holy One, loves us. He <laughs> Why in the world? It's because love is who he is. There's an equal sign in 1 John. God is love. That, 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 that B verb is big. We don't, of course, forget that God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. But don't forget the descriptor that John gives is that God is love. It is an essential part of his being that he is love. And we need to know that. And people need to hear that, and not in a sentimentalized kind of way. Not in a sloppy, gloppy. Okay, here's here's the quote from the book, not written by Heath Lambert. God does not love you because you matter. Oh, wait, what? God does not love you because you matter. You matter because God loves you. Oh, that's different. And now that is a bigger love. It's a transcendent love that stoops down. And suddenly I'm important because God has set his affections on me. 
That is good news. And that's what people need to hear in these worship songs. They just don't deliver that. They, they deliver tritisms. God, what are you going to do for me? How, how are you going to do it? Now, do they ever speak about God's love? Yes, but it tends to be what this guy named Heath Lambert, who didn't write this particular book, said, these are the these are the people who are seeking a feelings-based love. I just want to feel a high. I want to feel warm and fuzzy. And how does that feeling get worked up in an individual? Worship music. It it just it works. Come on, it works in movies. Watch a movie of a or a show or a YouTube video of a puppy getting rescued without music, and it might make you snivel. You put the right soundtrack behind it. <laughs> And you might have a totally amped up reaction because music does that. And that is precisely what you see happening, by the way, a lot of it at these revivals. And it's about feeling God in a meaningful way. And we really feel his presence. They're circumventing the intellect to get to the emotion center. And they're using music as their tool to accomplish that. And it works not properly, but it does give people the warm, fuzzy feeling that they are looking for. Instead, we must address the brain by preaching the Bible rightly, having worship music that is theologically robust. And it causes me to say, wait a second. God is in the heavens and he stoops not just to be aware of me. Not just to be familiar in general with my schedule for the year, but he's knowing me every single second of every day and loving me, not because I matter, but because God is love. That is the great news that people need to hear, perhaps especially, dare I say, in really theologically robust churches. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, in a recent display of Tolerance. I said that with air quotes. A homosexual teacher exploded at students for rejecting LGBT ideology. The teacher warned those who reject the ideology that they will, quote, be dealt with severely. Now, I'm not an expert on much of anything, but certainly not on this subject. But isn't the idea of tolerance to respect and accept differing opinions? I guess this lady missed the memo on that one. Now, South Korea is about to make everyone feel young again by changing the way it calculates age. Who knew that there was actually a real fountain of youth? Starting in June, South Koreans will be a year or two younger as the country moves away from their old method of calculating age. I mean, how many ways exist for calculating one's age? And I guess in a world where we can identify as whatever we want, that makes perfect sense, too. <laughs> but Light is now saying they made a mistake, which led to the paid endorsement deal with Dylan Mulvaney. Huh. The original quote from the marketing director person seemed to indicate otherwise. I guess when you take a $3 billion cap hit in just a few days, everything you're doing can be considered a mistake. Moving on to sports, a recent study found that global warming is the leading cause to more home runs in Major League Baseball. The study, which was conducted by the University of Illinois, suggests that warmer temperatures allow baseballs to travel farther, 
which have resulted in more home runs. So it had nothing to do with steroids all along. Well, if that's the case, put McGuire and Bonds in the Hall of Fame now. Rectify this tragedy, I tell you. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee has urged the state legislature to set aside politics and pass a red flag gun law. Governor Lee hopes that the new law will prevent gun violence while respecting the Second Amendment, which is just a myth anyway, at least according to that very political and governmental and constitutional expert, Greg Popovich. And LifeNews.com is reporting that since Dobbs, 32,000 babies have been saved from needless, useless murder. That's 32,000 miracles brought into the world. And speaking of those efforts, 19 states have also joined together to tell an appeals court to block access to the abortion pill that murders babies. And that has been another Wretched News Break. We have more Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. The book of Revelation describes visions given to the Apostle John by Jesus Christ concerning the consummation of history. Its symbolic style makes Revelation a mystery to many. But you can understand much by asking what are the setting and action and who are the characters. When you wonder how it's all going to end, God has given Revelation just for you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. There are some days, love the internet, and then there's today. This is Wretched Radio. Sorry for the sound quality. Going to go back a decade. This is a church. And this is a pastor. And this is Michael Jackson's Thriller. You hear me? Oh, hey. Jesus Christ, he really wants your heart. So close your eyes. Oh. This is not imagination. This is not going to be pretty. You say that made it onto the YouTube machine. There's no way a pastor would do that again. I say I'm afraid he did it a few years later. That's right. Let's go back six years. Shall we? Something evil's lurking in the dark. Church. Feel a cold hand. The devil is trying to stop your heart. So close your eyes and realize this is not imagination. You know, you would have thought he would have learned enough to take it down a couple of notches. And all the while, the king of kings, he wants your very life. Your very life. And they stand up and raise their hands. Oh, that's just terrific. This is Wretched Radio. Speaking of raising your hands, I'm not kidding. I did not. I did not plan this. Friel, we know that you don't plan anything. I happen to look up Bible verses that talk about lifting up your hands in worship or in prayer. Received an email sent to idea at wretched.org. What do I do about this? That I'm being told you really should pray with your hands lifted up. There are a lot of Bible verses that indicate that was a regular practice, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New. For instance, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, do I think that lifting hands in worship is a law? No, 
I, I don't think that Paul was saying every time you pray, you've got to do it with this posture. He was he he wants people to pray, and the culture and the custom there at that time was to lift holy hands. So I, I think it was more of a cultural recognition in the first Timothy verse, but he also got it from the Old Testament, Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. There's a ton of them. I'm just picking a couple. Nehemiah 8, 6, Ezra blessed the Lord and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, they engaged their bodies to communicate what was going on in their hearts, to speak a word. Our posture does, and we used to recognize that. And yet, I think because there are so many places that just abuse it so awfully, and it's become such a constant, even in ridiculous church services. These people don't need nonsense. They need food. And that certainly ain't it. Hold on. You've got yourself Ezra 9.5. Lots in the Psalms, by the way. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Maybe, just maybe, you go to a church where that doesn't happen, and then somebody comes into your church and they do that, and everybody gasps. <gasps> that person's raising their hands. Could it be that it is a sign of the emotionalism that is so often cooked up at churches? Sure, it could be, but it doesn't have to be, and it isn't a sin. We do see biblical precedent for it. And we used to assume different postures. Do you remember kneelers? Probably not if you didn't go to a mainline Protestant church. Evangelical churches, for the most part, have jettisoned them because it's considered too formal. You know, the up and down, bopping up and down. You got to stand up, sit down, kneel down. Well, there was a reason for that. The people who designed those churches, you know, they, they read verses like Ezra 9.5. They read 1 Kings 8.22. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. 1 Kings 8.54, Exodus 17.11. In other words, maybe, just maybe, while it is not mandated, it shouldn't be commanded, it certainly should be something permitted. And maybe, just maybe, rightly done, sometimes encouraged. What if, what if, and believe me, I've tried to raise my hands in worship I, I, Siri, I felt like somebody put a bungee cord around me. I can't, I'm not, it's too, mm, mm. but what if it actually communicated something to God? What if it communicated expectancy? What if it communicated that I am offering up something to God? What if it helped me to concentrate more? Maybe just, maybe it would be a good thing. And it certainly would be better, don't push that button, than this. And he did the little Michael Jackson leg thing at the end there to top it all off. 
church news. Let's go to Minnesota, shall we? By the way, <laughs> I didn't realize how thick my accent was until we watched this HGTV show. Have you seen the uh, fire rescue or rescue 911 or something like that? Where these two women from Minneapolis, Minnesota, they go to homes where people have had some sort of fire damage, the pipes burst, water backing up, and they fix it. I don't know why these shows are so compelling, but they are. Wow! Did they have an accent? Hoy! And it and it comes right through your nose. And I thought, huh, if they talk like that, and I lived there for decades, I wonder if I'm talking like that then. Do I? You're shaking your head a little bit on yeah. occasion. It okay. comes out. Uh-huh. Well, we'd never guess you're from Tennessee. No, absolutely so, not. <laughs> you can criticize all you want. <laughs> Bethlehem Seminary is in St. Paul, Minnesota, I believe, maybe Arlington Heights. John Piper serves as chancellor. There was an announcement that the president resigns Hmm. over stances. This is the headline from Christian Post over stances on infant baptism and church state separation. And I knew immediately what was going on there, and the article confirmed it. This is a fellow who appears has moved from being Baptistic, in other words, believing that faith must precede baptism, to believing that, I'm not sure to what degree the effect of sprinkling pouring on a baby has, but most likely covenantalism in a Presbyterian kind of way. He's moved in that direction, which, of course, makes it very difficult to be in that close of a fellowship. Now, believe me, Presbyterians and Baptists, there's fellowship there. But working in a community like that, in something that's really intimate and daily, gets pretty tricky. It's pretty difficult. We have unity in the essentials, but sometimes some, not all, but some secondary issues can make it problematic. And infant baptism is one of them, which is why if you're dating somebody and you've got a different opinion on baptism, you better get that sorted before you propose. Because it will be a difficulty in your home like it is in a church and like it is at Bethel Seminary. And then it said church-state separation. Hmm. What do the two have together? Well, my suspicion is if this fellow is moving more toward a covenantalism and perhaps a post-mill eschatology, is he one of the people who is encouraging a closer relationship between church and state? And it has caused a bit of a problem. And lo and behold, those suspicions were confirmed. The Bethlehem president and the school are parting ways because of a vision divergence between him and other leaders of the school that are out of step with several distinctives which Baptists have held historically. His position on baptism and how children believers fit into covenantal scheme of scripture. So he's probably become Presbyterian, no harm, no foul. But it continues that it's developed to the point where mm, infant baptism is an open question and they have the right to say that doesn't work for us. It continues. His position on the relationship between Christianity and civil government is not at home with the historic Baptist emphasis on the separation of church and state. So they've parted company. And I'm wondering, is this maybe a first of many more of these types of divisions? Our understanding of the relationship between the church and the government. This is a hot topic And we need to remember that it is currently hot because it's a relatively new subject for us. And I suspect I've been kind of 
concerned about this, if you will, for a long time, that you're going to see good brothers, good sisters dividing and sometimes moving on from a university. That's that doesn't have to mean acrimony. But let's be aware this conversation about church and state. um, It's an issue. And I think it's just going to become a bigger and bigger issue the more our culture grows dark. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa. And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Question, are you tired of the same old boring TV shows? Well, there is something that's not like anything else on Christian TV. It's Transform, and it's back for season number two. You get to be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions tackling issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, and others. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions by our hosts, Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson. So if you're looking for something different, you know, a show that glorifies God and demonstrates the sufficiency of His Word, then Transform is for you. It's a -a one-of-a-kind production that provides the hope and relief that only the Bible can give. The world is full of hurting people, even Christians, and many are completely unaware of biblical counseling and the answers it can provide. So join us for Transform Season 2, the show that will transform your walk with Christ and leave a profound and lasting impact on your life. Get your hands on it now and also consider grabbing the Sunday School curriculum for your church. You can find it at transform.org or the Wretched Store at wretched.org. So you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Attributes of God. Can a loving God be wrathful? If God loves righteousness, loves people, and wants what is best for his creation, he must hate what runs contrary to his will. God must always respond to sin with wrath, and his wrath must be satisfied. It is either satisfied on the cross 
or each person will bear God's wrath eternally in hell. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Sorry, my Presbyterian friends. This is Wretched Radio was not intending to infer it is only Presbyterians who are redefining church-state relationships in our nation. There are Presbyterians who are. It appears that the former Bethlehem Seminary professor is becoming a Presbyterian or has become a Presbyterian because of his changing position on baptism. But it is also Baptists and evangelicals and perhaps especially charismatics who are reexamining the relationship between church and state and coming to the conclusion that church should have more influence on the state than it currently does. That there shouldn't be a separation. If you ever want to do an interesting study, there's plenty of books on the subject. I think you'd find them compelling. Even some articles. In fact, I read one last night. It was written by a Roman Catholic. And, you know, it was smart and it was thoughtful. And for the most part, it was historically accurate about how it is that in Europe, church and state were so closely mingled. Aren't we seeing that with the coronation of King Charles, who, by the way, is in a bit of a skirmish with the Anglican communion because he wants people of other faiths there? That is a big no-no. Why? Because the Anglican church is the church of England, and the king is the head of the church. You say, how did that happen? Well, it goes back probably to 313, the Edict of Milan, when Constantine decided Christians shouldn't be persecuted. That was a good thing. But fast forward to 380, when you had the Council of Thessalonica, which said Christianity is the religion of the state. And that is how it got introduced. And then for centuries, church and state, to varying degrees, were mingled together. When the Puritans escaped the persecution that was coming from a church-state relationship that was hostile toward their puritanical views, they came to a nation, and indeed, there were colonies that were established to be Christian colonies of a particular stripe. But at its founding, that, w- that was not the case. It was to be, I-, I hate to use the term separation of church and state because it's so filled with baggage, and I grant you're, you're exactly correct. Nature's God is invoked in our founding documents, but not a particular religion because there was a there was a recollection that back in Europe, the mingling of church and state was really dangerous and it was really problematic when we've been living with a bit of that tension now for 250 years, give or take. But now it is coming to the surface again because the government appears to be becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. And it's not just the U.S. of A., it's Canada. I just saw that that pastor was arrested for the third time going to a drag queen story hour library thing. It's happening everywhere, and we're ha- having to ask the question, well, how now do we live in light of a government that appears to become becoming hostile to Christianity? And it's a good conversation, and it's a conversation we really have to have I just want to make sure that we are all encouraged to do it in a way that says this is a big, messy subject. It is a messy subject. I know what my position is on this. And I also recognize that my position, while I personally believe it is the tidiest, that's how it works out in my brain. So you look for loose ends. What about this? What about that? What are the implications of this? For the most part, my position is the tidiest that I have discovered. But that doesn't mean it isn't without challenges. 
So I believe that there are realms of authority. You've got the government realm. It's a minister of God. You've got the church realm. You've got the family realm. And ne'er the twain shall meet. But instantly you go, wait a second. Are you saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in government? Nope, didn't say that. Well, should they bring their Christianity into it? And I say, yes, they should. And you say, well, then wait a second. That's the government then being infiltrated or being joined to the church in a way and Christianity influencing the state. I get it. It's, it's a little bit sloppy. Nevertheless, I do believe that a Christian can certainly be involved in politics. You have every right to do that. And if that is what you really believe that you're called to do for the sake of human flourishing, then you get on it. Should we all vote? Yeah. Is it possible that a Christian should run for office? I say you go for it and you bring your values informed by your Christian faith. And you say that immediately blurs the line. And I say, yeah, I get that. I really do. But I don't think so in that everybody's worldview is imported into their politics. The line that I think it crosses is when we insist that the government as a whole says we are a Christian government. And in general, we're going to have Christianity be the rule book for all of culture. Now, do I want that? Yes, I do. Do I believe that it is the state's job to impose Christianity on people in any way, shape or form? And the answer is no. And immediately I get it. It gets what you don't want murderers to get the death penalty. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. But I want to make sure that we aren't returning to the system that our founding fathers abandoned. If you ever visit Savannah and you go on one of those tours and you get the same guy that we had who said there were three laws that the early settlers of Savannah wanted to impose, make legislation and enforce. No alcohol, no lawyers, and no Roman Catholics? What? Why would, huh? That seems so outrageous to us. Why would they think that it should be against the law for Catholics to be a part of their community? Because they knew how Catholics historically had been treating Protestants. Because if a Catholic was the head of the state, that was the religion of the nation. And they sought to escape that. Let's go back to Bethlehem Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is from Bethlehem College in Sem. The point here is not that the seminary has a creedal position on church and state. Nor is it that separation between church and state means the absence of influence. And I get it. I understand this. Well, what do you mean influence? And you're, you're saying on the other side of your mouth, you don't want Christianity to be imposing itself in the government realm. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And I, and I get it. It's, it's a challenge. And every position, by the way, on church-state relationship has their challenges. And we need to recognize that. Back to the article. The point is that the president who resigned, his more recent emphasis on a hope for an eventual Christianization of all society. See, that, that to me is when you're trying to Christianize society. Having people adhere to morals and values that we see in the Bible that are generally accepted, thumbs up. In making the nation Christian, hold it. To me, that's problematic because that indicates that some sort of cultural Christianity is Christianity at all. It's not. We're the, we're the people of, 
of, of faith that actually believe this stuff. And we desire to behave rightly because our God is so good and so kind and he died to save us and set us free from the laws of sin and death. That's genuine Christianity. Trying to make the nation sort of behave Christianly. Ooh, if nothing else, even if we can't articulate this when it comes to the dynamic between church and state, we should theologically look at this and say, this is, this is soteriologically problematic. In that, am I giving people the impression that you're Christian because we're identifying as a Christian government and kind of living by Christian rules and precepts? Uh-oh, that would cause people, as we have seen for centuries, to think that they're actually a part of the church when they're not because they have not been regenerated. They're not born again. Back to the article, the president's more recent emphasis on a hope for eventual Christianization of all society, including the civil government, has put him significantly out of step with other leaders of the school who would warn against the use of civil authority to establish Christianity as an official religion. Now, I don't know if the fellow was going that far to establish Christianity as the official religion. We need to ask ourselves the question, is that the goal of the church? Do we see a mandate for that? And third, we do need to look at history. How has that worked out historically? And the answer is, while it most certainly has produced good things, you can't argue that. You, and I hear the argument, hey, well, hey, which would you prefer? That and its benefits or communism? And it's like, well, of course I prefer the effects of that and the values of that. But I don't think it's an either or sort of proposition. My family and I are currently praying and considering a number of options for our future, all of which would enable us to continue to spread a passion for God's supremacy in all things. That is a big theme these days in evangelical circles, because God is supreme over all things. He is the one in charge of everything. Therefore, Christianity should be in charge of the government. That is how some people see it. Not all, but some people see it. Hey, Aren't we supposed to subdue the earth? And the answer is yes. And therefore, the conclusion of some would be that includes the government. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is that really the mandate that is given to people that we need to be in control of all institutions? Does that mean corporations? Does that mean every school? Does that mean people's families? And I think the answer to that is no. We're supposed to bring an untamed planet under control and leave it in a better state than when we found it. These are tricky issues. And I'm willing to say, yeah, mine isn't perfectly tidy. But I would encourage us all to say the same thing. Because I understand a division at a university, at a seminary, because it, it just didn't, be, it wasn't workable. I get that. Let's be careful that that doesn't happen with the unity of those of us who have the essentials in common. Please. And until tomorrow, Go serve your king.